0: He didn't know. He didn't know as he was walking down the road what was about to happen, did he? Saul had no way of knowing exactly what was going to take place, but he didn't know. He didn't even know that he needed it to take place. He didn't know that he was lost. He didn't know that he was in need of being saved. He just didn't know as he walked down the road that day. He didn't know what was going to take place. He just didn't know. But he came to know, didn't he? He came to find out that in Jesus, there is victory. In Jesus, there is triumph. And beginning today, what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is to look at triumphant terms, terms of triumph, terms of victory, and be reminded Paul didn't know, Saul of Tarsus didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about the victory that was to be had in Christ. And yet, at the end of his life, he would say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have, again, uh, finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is that crown which is laid up for me, the crown that he knew that Jesus was going to provide. Victory is found In Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57... ...this same man who is walking down the road... ...to persecute Christians in uh, in our text reading this morning... ...says this to Christians in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57... ...but thanks be to God who gives us the victory... ...through Jesus Christ our Lord. Faith is the victory. Victory is found in Christ. We need to be reminded of this. I don't care how long you've been a Christian... If you're not a Christian or if you've been a Christian for a long time, we need to be reminded every so often that victory is found in Jesus. And so I want to look at terms of victory and where we find them and what exactly they mean. There are some words that we're going to come across as we go through this study that maybe we've heard or we read in passing, but maybe we just don't have a good grasp on what they really mean. What's really behind this particular word? This morning, the term that we're looking at is not a difficult term, and we'll get to it in just a moment. But I want you to open your Bibles to where we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you'll find that we have a letter that is written by the man who was walking down the road on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. This is a letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing these words to Christians. And in chapter 6 specifically, he is addressing an issue. Now, for those of you who might have been in our study last quarter, 1 Corinthians 13, this is going to sound just a little bit familiar. But I want you to be reminded that the congregation in Corinth was a congregation made up of messes. A congregation that had so many mistakes and issues that Paul was needing to address. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he is addressing an issue. He is bent out of shape. He is incredibly upset at the fact that these Christians were taking one another into court. They were taking issues in their lives, and instead of being allowing themselves to suffer a little bit of loss, they were taking their brethren to court. And they were they were airing the church's dirty laundry, so to speak, in front of the world. And Paul is saying, that's no way to win a soul. That's no way to let the the Lord be seen in the lives of the world. And so if you have to suffer a little bit, suffer. But please, make sure that the Lord is always seen in good light. Please be aware that you need to be evangelizing, that these people in the world, that you're airing all this dirty laundry, you're turning them away from Jesus when victory is found in Jesus. So we need to be reminded of this as well. But in that great context, we drop down to verse number 9. And we find the familiar words of Paul there where he says to these Christians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse number 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to notice something there in verse number 11 as we think about this context as a whole. where where bookends are found at the beginning of verse number 9 and the end of verse number 10, and he says the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Does your Bible say that? You are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You are not going to be saved if you continue in these sins, and he lists them there. Don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't try to talk your way around it. Don't try to justify it you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven if you remain in that unrighteous condition. We're talking about victory. And so you get to verse number 11, and he says, Such were some of you. The word were is past tense. You don't have to be too old to understand that, do you? That it is past tense. That the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, but that's not you. That was you, but that's no longer you. Paul is writing and saying to these Christians, that's who you were. Now, that word were answers some very important questions that people are asking today. For example, God, do I really need to get out of an adulterous marriage, even if we love one another and there are children involved? What's the answer? Were some of you is the answer. You've got out of that. Can a homosexual really give up that lifestyle? And the answer is, were some of you. Were some of you answers these questions. And so we go through this context, and we are able to answer some of these questions that people are asking. Do I need to give up alcohol? The answer is, were some of you. You go through this list, and he says that's who you were. But that's in the past. You cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven involving yourself in unrighteousness. You cannot go to heaven. Don't justify it. Don't try to come up with ways to get around it. You can't do it, he says. Such were some of you. And so we come to that word some. And you think about who's receiving this particular letter. And the the answer is that Christians are receiving this letter. Those who have obeyed the gospel of Christ. Those who at one time engaged themselves in some of this unrighteous, sinful behavior. And it is possible that some of those who are reading this letter are, are looking at Paul and they're saying, you know what? I involve myself in all of those. That could be true. Others might be saying, you know what? I didn't engage myself in all of those, but I engaged in some of those a few of those, one or two of those. And it is possible that some who are reading this letter could say, Paul, I didn't engage myself in any of those. Not any of those specifically. But there's not a one of them who could say, I haven't engaged in sin. There's not a one of these who now finds himself in this condition in verse number 11 who could say, I never sinned. And I think that's the point that Paul is making. You're so busy and caught up in life. You're so busy and caught up in even taking your brethren to court. You're so caught up in your own prideful arrogance that you've forgotten that you were once lost, that you were engaging yourself in unrighteous activity. And if you continue that, you cannot go to heaven. But that's who you were. That's not who you have to be. That's not who you are. And so that word were reminds us that people can forsake any sin. There is no sin that people cannot get out of. That's great news, isn't it? There's no sin that you cannot get out of in the eyes of God. He knows what sin is. He knows what unrighteousness looks like. He knows that you're separated from Him if you continue to engage in that activity. But He's saying, there's nothing that I can't forgive you from. And then you find that word, some... And the great news there is that there's not a sinner that God can't forgive. He can forgive Saul of Tarsus. He can forgive you. And he can forgive me. And he's writing these Christians and he says, that's who you were, but God has forgiven you. You have victory now in Christ. And that's who you were. You were lost as you can be. You weren't going to go to heaven. But that's not how you have to be. Because God can forgive you if you will forsake sin. And so we come to that, those three words, the first of which we will deal with this morning. And I'll tell you this morning, I, I've, I've preached some longer sermons recently. I, I don't intend this one to be as long. But I want you to think about this term, washed. And tonight, Lord willing, we'll look at the term sanctified. And a week from today, Lord willing, we'll look at that third term, justified, as we look at words of triumph, triumph terms, victory that is found in Jesus And he says to these folks, you were lost, you were not going to heaven, but now that's not where you find yourselves. And so I'm asking, what changed? How did they go from a lost condition to a saved condition? That's all people need to know today, isn't it? I need to know what sin is. I need to know the consequences of sin. But more than that, I need to know God. And I want to be right with Him, and I can be. The message is, through Jesus. How? It involves being washed. Now let's get into this term. Let's unpack it for a second. I'm no Greek scholar, I assure you of that. There are many in this room who know a lot more about it than I do. But this particular word is an interesting one. In the original language, the word is apoluo. You don't need to know that to go to heaven... But I want you to understand that what we're dealing with is a particular word that is found here and it's very interesting to look at and examine and it will tell us a lot of what we're dealing with. The word is apoluo. Apo meaning off and luo meaning to bathe the whole person. Thus, when you combine apoluo, you get to wash off fully. To wash off completely. It's found twice. Only two times in the New Testament. In First Corinthians chapter six and verse eleven, such were some of you, but you were washed. And in Acts chapter twenty-two and verse number sixteen, which Brother Jared read for us a moment ago, the only two times that we find it. Saul is asked by Ananias, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Arise and be baptized and wash off fully your sin. ...only two times in the New Testament. And what are they connected to? Baptism. We're dealing with baptism. You were washed. You were washed off fully... ...is exactly what we find here in this text of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. And so you take 1 Corinthians 6 and you combine it with Acts chapter 22 and you get this picture of a complete immersion, a burial in water, if you will, the same word that Paul will use in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. You were buried with Christ in baptism. that You might be raised as He was in the resurrection and walk in newness of life. And so this word really helps us a lot with what we're dealing with. To wash off fully. You were washed. Not just part of you, but all of you. All of your sin has been completely taken care of. You were unrighteous, but now you are right. Now you have the victory in Jesus Christ. Because you've been washed. Now, again, I'll get in over my head for just a second. But I think this is so good to bring out. In the Greek language, you have a middle voice. We don't have this really in English, but you have a middle voice. And the best way to describe it is what I put up on the screen, I think. And that is, in a sentence, you've got a subject and you've got a verb. And in the middle voice, when it is used, the subject is acting for its own benefit. It's acting in benefit of itself. And so I'm going to do something because I realize that it's going to benefit me to do that. And so, he says, you were washed. That is, you recognized that you needed to be baptized for yourself. No one forced you to do it. This is a decision that you made because you realized that's what had to take place. Isn't that interesting? Now, just pause for a second. And with this information, what do we know? What we know is... That baptism requires one to do for themselves what they know they need to do. It is not something that I can force one to do. I cannot take you and dunk you in water and say that you're saved. It's a choice that you've got to make. It's a benefit you see to yourself, and that's why you will do it. And so, again, I can't force you to be baptized. So, if I force someone to be baptized, I'm not doing them a service. I need to know that as a parent with my children. I need to know that as a grandparent. I need to know that I I can encourage, but I cannot force. I can teach and I can lead, but it's their decision. We need to know that as we're studying with folks. We also need to know that this is a death nail to infant baptism. It's a death nail to infant baptism. Have you ever turned over to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 and used it against infant baptism? Well, You can go lots of other places before you come here, but I'm telling you, this is it. This is a a verse that we clearly use to say that you can't force one against their will to be baptized and say that it works. It's a choice that they have to make. They have to see the need for their own benefit. A baby can't do that. A baby can't even talk. A baby can't verbalize any of this. And so, again, we see this in the Greek middle voice. But what Paul is saying ultimately is, You have to be washed to get out of your sin. You have to see the need to be washed in order to get out of your sin. Can I just tell you that that's the same way that it's worded in Acts 22 and verse 16? That it also is in the middle voice. And so you have Ananias who comes to Saul and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me that you may receive your sight. And Paul says, at that hour I was able to look up at him and see him. And then Ananias says, why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. It's an imperative. He's pleading with him to do it. But it's in the middle voice. Saul, I can't force you to do it, but you need to. I won't force you to do it, but I need you to see the need because you need to understand that this will benefit you to be washed. The Greek middle voice helps us, I think, with this verse. Now, let's just think about washing for a moment in the Old Testament. I love that our young people have just taken a look at many of these things. I think it will help you as you see it. But you remember in in Exodus chapter 19, when the children of Israel have crossed over the Red Sea, they've come out of Egypt and they come to Mount Sinai. God says in that context of Exodus chapter 19, He says, I'm going to give you all three days. He says to Moses, I'm going to give you three days to get yourselves prepared. Because at the end of these three days, I'm going to come down upon Mount Sinai and you're going to know that my presence is there. And so I'm going to give you three days to prepare to be in my presence. And one thing he says two times specifically is that you're going to wash your clothes. You're going to wash your clothes. You're going to clean yourselves up before you can be in my presence. Interesting, isn't it? Then you go a little bit further in Exodus and you come to chapter 29. And you notice that here things are being set up. The tabernacle is is, uh, coming into form. And Aaron and his sons are going to begin serving as priests. And so he says to them, hey men, before you can come into my service, before you come into this place, you are going to wash yourselves. Young people, remember that article of, Furniture that was right outside the tabernacle before they could go in. Remember, it was a laver. Remember what it was made of? Bronze, right? And you got this bronze laver that sits right outside the tabernacle. And before the priests could go in to administer their services to the Lord, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. I want you to be clean, so to speak, before you come into my presence. Before you come in and serve, you need to wash yourselves. As we get to the New Testament, we find that being a shadow of baptism. And it is not for ceremonial purposes. It is not for sanitary purposes. It is for the purpose of getting clean, of getting rid of, ...of your sin. That's what Peter would talk about, isn't it... ...in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. What is it? It's baptism. And it's not taking a bath. It's not removing the filth off the flesh. It's not taking soap and water... ...and getting yourself clean physically. It's cleaning yourself up spiritually. It's having a, being able to have a good conscience... ...in the, in the sight of God. It's how you get rid of your sin... It saves you. It's how you are washed fully. You really think baptism is a part of a plan? You really think baptism is required? I'm telling you, brethren and friends, these are words of victory. And if you want to be found in Jesus, you need to be washed in His blood. Revelation 1 and verse 5, we need to be washed in His blood. We need to be made clean through the blood that He has provided us. We need to be washed in order to be clean. Let yourselves be baptized for yourself. Understand what needs to take place. So I go back in my New Testament and I go to Acts chapter 18. And I begin to to wrap this up now, but I go to Acts chapter 18 and I look at verse number 8... And the Bible tells me that Paul finds himself in the city of Corinth. And in verse number 8, the Bible says that Crispus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, was baptized, and many of the Corinthians, having heard, believed, and were baptized. What were they? Washed. They were washed. They were washed fully, and their sins were forgiven. And they were found in Christ. And as we walk in the light, His blood continues to cleanse us from our sin. My friend, there is no need for you not to be in heaven for all eternity. Jesus provides the victory. Have you been washed? Have you been washed in His blood? You have to make that choice for yourself. But I would echo the words of Ananias as he spoke to Saul on that day. Why are you waiting? Why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. If you're not a Christian today, why would you wait? Now is the day. Will you see the benefit of coming to the Lord? Of putting Him first in all things? Of submitting yourself only to Him? And obeying Him in being saved? Do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession? Are you ready this morning to uh, repent of sin in your life? To turn away as they did in Corinth? To turn away from sinful behavior? To walk in the ways of God? Are you ready this morning to be washed in the blood of Jesus, to have your sins forgiven and held against you no more? This morning, are you a Christian who is walking in the light? Are you striving to be faithful, striving to do the will of God, or have you wandered away? This morning, if we can help you in any way, please respond to the Lord's invitation now. Come into the front while together we stand and while we sing.